morning. Good morning. It's great having you here. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 16 and 1 Kings chapter 17. Um, I think it will all fit together, hopefully. Um, but yeah, we've been going, if, you, if this is your first time, we've been going through the book of John for a while, kind of chapter, chapter per week. And so uh, when I was looking at this uh, over this past week, I thought, man, there's so much. And it's not like it's all one topic that goes through the whole chapter. There's just so many different topics. And so I was kind of like, God, where do you want to go with this? And I'm thinking it's this, that as, as I've listened like the first at 830 service, all the songs that we're talking about, hope and joy. And then I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm listening to our worship time and we're talking about, and I love that new doxology song where just, oh, there's just so much to that about who God is. And then I'm looking at the song after the message. And the thing is, I wasn't even around to talk through this. So it's going to look like we really planned everything when we don't ever do that. So, I mean, it just looks so good. And I'm just looking at going, God, maybe you have something for us. Because hasn't it been kind of a tough three weeks as a nation? It's just been a tough, rough three weeks. And, and then when it's the tough three weeks, we all of a sudden have our opinions of whose fault it is. And I don't know about you, and then some people say, well, everyone's going to hear about my opinion. And yet scripture talks about the, the wisdom that comes from sharing things not all the time. Actually, we need to keep our mouths shut every once in a while for the purpose of the gospel. Because I think about it, how many people have been turned off by the gospel that we so love because of a message that you've pushed or pressed on Facebook that means half the population is no longer interested in anything that you share. If you have an issue with that, my email is peterT at purposechurch.com. It's... I know we sit there and we think, well, everyone needs to know that it's this person's or this leader's or this organization or this political party's. And, and I'm keep, I keep sitting there, followers of Jesus, there should be some kind of difference because we believe in the sovereignty of God. And that because we believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is not sitting there going, it's an election year. What am I going to do? All right, let's get my boys and girls out there to make it happen. Guys, I think we vote our consciences and realize that God establishes all authority and all rulers for his purpose and his glory. So take a break and take a breath. Because I don't think sitting, I don't think God's sitting there going, what's going to happen in November? Am I still going to get to be in charge? Will people still be okay with that? And as long as we keep pushing agendas that are not connected to the gospel, here's the problem. Here's where it all stems from. Sin. That's it. We're sinful and we're broken and we have a world that's broken and hopeless and we have the answer and the only answer is Christ. That's it. But then we're shocked when bad things happen, aren't we? And then listen, listen to Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Everything that he said, everything he said in chapter 15, especially the part where the world's going to hate you, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. I mean, so Jesus isn't shocked by any of this. He's the one that says, in this world, you will have trial. You will have trouble. Why? Because it's broken. And yet when we face the trial and when we face the trouble, we're shocked. And Jesus the whole time says, I'm telling you this. Why? I don't want you to fall away and be so freaked out. It's like, well, God must not be in charge. And so I'm going to run after other things. He's saying, I'm still in charge. I'm telling you it's going to get bad. 
This has to be the worst way to try to gain people for your organization. Hey, if you join me, everyone's going to hate you and want to kill you. Do you want to join? Sure. Where do I sign up on the line for that one? But he tells us in the beginning, it's going to get difficult. And then he tells his disciples this, and you know what? I'm going to be going pretty soon. And it is so much better that I go than if I stay. Now, if you're one of the disciples, especially one of the 12, and you're listening to Jesus, not Judas. He doesn't care because he's already betrayed him. But I mean, when you're listening, the 11 are listening going, oh, no, 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 no. You can't leave. Why? Because they just loved him. I mean, think about all they got to saw, his invitation, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, that's the invitation. That is the invitation that a rabbi gives to the top of the class in the little, in the little we'll call it just, okay, Sunday school class back in the day, that's what we'll call it. Okay, whoever was top of the class, they got that invitation from a rabbi. That is the, that's the gold ticket. And he goes up to these guys who didn't make the cut, you can tell because they have jobs. That's, that's how it was in the day. If you didn't make the top of the class, you just got a job. And he walks up to just got a job. He goes, follow me. That is the invitation of a lifetime. That's why they drop everything and they follow. Everything they saw him do. Peter even got to walk on water. That Jesus sent out 72 of his followers. that says, I'm giving you authority to drive out demons and to heal the sick and to proclaim good news. Go and do it. And they go out and they do it. And then they come back and says they had so much joy because they come back and said, we saw demons leave people in your name. We saw people get healed in your name. They come back with all this joy. They watch Jesus feed 20,000 some odd people with five loaves and two fish, five Twinkies and two sardines just by breaking pieces off. They saw Jesus give sight to the blind. They saw Jesus restore health to the leprous man. All because the leprous man simply said this, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched him before he healed him, which made Jesus unclean, but he didn't care. He had such a heart. He has such a heart for us. He has such a heart for the world. How do you know? Because it's that verse that we all know. We've been brought up in the church at any point. And even if you work, you've seen the weird dude at the football games holding up the sign. John three sixteen, And maybe you've looked it up. For God so loved the world. And yet we're so quick to judge parts of it. And Jesus himself said, I came to what? Seek and save the lost. And he's left his church here to what? To continue that work. To seek and save the lost. It hasn't changed. But he tells us in the beginning, you're going to have a hard time. And then I'm going to go. But don't worry about it. Because I'm sending the helper. Isn't that good? Now somebody said, I don't need no help. The fact that that was your first reaction proves that you should be first in line for help. I don't need no help. You need help. Serious, professional help. And God knows if Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then all of a sudden we say, apart from you, I can do everything. That's a, there's a problem there. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'm sending the helper. So here's the Holy Spirit. When you surrendered your life to Christ, if you were a follower of Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, came into you as the helper to help, guide, comfort, direct, convict, encourage, heal, to change us into the likeness of Jesus. Guys, I feel like that's confirmation. 
That's more confirmation of the truth of Christianity because what person on the planet would come up with that? Because, okay, honestly, Christians, don't we believe some freaky stuff? Be honest. Let's just go, no, it all makes sense. Really? Here's the math. We talk about the Trinity. We sing about the Trinity. One plus one plus one equals one. Can you imagine me trying to prove that at school? Probably going to do a simple math problem. Okay, I'm ready. One plus one plus one plus one plus one. No, okay, one plus one plus one, got it. What's it equal? One. You're an imbecile. Guys, it doesn't make sense. So I sit and go, okay, that doesn't make sense. What human being would come up with that concept? There's no human being on the planet. So you look at all these other world religions that are out there. There's one God, only one. Here comes Christianity and goes, well, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All of them are God and yet separate but one. And you go, that makes no sense. And I go, that's confirmation for me. That this is true. Because no human would, in their mind, think of that. So the Holy Spirit who is God, followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit who is God, lives in us. Do you get that? We neglect him. Why? Because he's, he's unpredictable. And we don't understand him because we don't spend time with him. I'm convinced we have neglected our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who said, it is better that I go than that I stay. Because when I go, because I'm in this body, I'm confined to time and space right here. But the Holy Spirit, every follower of Christ has the Holy Spirit. And that means every place on the planet where there are followers of Christ, God is in those people and he's doing his work. Do you realize that for the last 24 hours, Followers of Jesus have been coming together and worshiping Jesus, all, in, all filled by the Holy Spirit. And that God has been listening to every, every tongue, every language, and every tribe on every continent, all at the same time, all giving praise and honor and glory to him. Amen. And I listen to that and I go, goodness gracious, God, you are sovereign. And I'm so thankful, it sounds weird, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you left. Because you gave us the helper who is God in us. And I'm so excited for when you come back. But until then, church, not place. Church is not a place. Church is the community. Church, we have a mission. Seek and save the lost. Not label and title who's worthy of it. Seek and save the lost. And when we are not on that mission, we are in direct disobedience to the command of God and it is called sin. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. And then to get to this, we're just gonna, I'm gonna read part of this verse for just a second. We're gonna go to 1 Kings 17. Down in verse 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but... And I want us to hold on to that but until we get, to, until we get out of First Kings 17. So switch your Bibles over to First, or First Kings chapter 17, or it should be behind me. Here's where we're first introduced to Elijah. If you weren't brought in the church, he's a prophet. He would come and speak on, on behalf of God, saying, okay, this is the truth of God. You need to listen. And most of the time, the prophet was sent to kind of slap around the Israelites because they're not following and Ahab, he's, he's this king of Israel. And the Bible says that no king before him had provoked God to anger more than him. I'm going to say, if you want to be good at something, don't be good at ticking off God. 
Like, don't be sitting there going, ah, here's my resume. I tick off God more than anyone. Oh, you're hired. I don't think it's going to happen. That's not something to be proud of. And so here comes Elijah. And he says, hey, I'm just going to let you know. According to the word of the Lord, the Lord who lives. Now, why is it so important he says that? Because what Ahab had done is he married this woman called Jezebel. It's just a different lady. He just needs some help. And she brought in this idea of worshiping Baal, which means worshiping this false god. It's kind of like me coming up and saying, hey, guys, I found this new god, and this is it. Let's all bow down and sacrifice to this, this table. Okay, so it's not like this mini God. Here's Baal, the mini God, and then our God's the bigger God. There are no other gods, but she's having people sacrifice and give to this false God. And it was thought that Baal, here's his job. Baal was in charge of the weather. So can you see why all of a sudden Elijah comes up and says, hey, it is not going to rain until I give word that it will rain. Can you see why it is that Elijah goes, hey, I will go into your territory. Here's Baal. He's all powerful. You're saying he's all powerful. He should be able to take what I say and get rid of it. So I'm going to make it as easy as possible for him. I'm going to go here and say, hey, Baal, you're in charge of the weather. No, no, no. According to my word, according to the word of God from my mouth, I'm telling you, it will not rain until I say that it can rain again. He makes it so easy. It's like he throws up this softball pitch. Like old people church softball league. I'm talking about Like you should have smashed this sucker. He just throws it out there. And it does not rain. For three and a half years, it does not rain. Then God tells Elijah, you need to go because you just ticked off a lot of people. You just made a whole lot of people mad. So just take off. Can you imagine? They said, they're going, I need to pack. He's like, don't pack. I will feed you. Don't worry, I got the food for you. Now, Elijah, it's like, I think maybe God knew what Elijah was thinking. Like, okay, how are you going to do that? He goes, I will feed you every morning and every evening. I will have ravens deliver food to you. Ravens. Ravens. Now, we all love to camp, right? Nope. I hate it. Okay, so I don't. I like hotels and I like RVs. So if you have a nice RV, invite me. But if it's a tent, nah. It's like a sauna during the day. I hate it. Okay, but I've never heard anyone go, hey, we're going to go camping, but we're not going to pack food. Unless you're like the rough one going, hey, we're going to find our own food. We're going to eat pine cones and we're going to drink sap and it's going to be amazing. Okay, if that's you, great. But here's the thing. Most of us think about it. When we go camping, we've got 22 coolers of all of our food. We provide. I've never heard anyone go, hey, Brian, you want to come camping? I've never heard him go, hey, where's the food? Oh, we're not bringing any. God will send ravens to us to drop meat and bread morning and evening. It's going to be great. I don't know that. Can you imagine doing that as a youth activity? High schoolers, we're going to go camping. God will provide. He'll bring ravens to give you meat and bread. Oh, sign me up. Yeah, sign me up for that whacked out thing you got going in your mind. That doesn't work. And yet that's what happens. Every morning, every evening, ravens come down. They drop meat and bread and he has water to drink from the, from the little creek that's sitting right there. Every morning, every evening, every morning, every evening. I've never seen birds drop food on purpose for others to have. I've seen them take people's food. I've never seen them drop it. I remember I was at the zoo or somewhere with my family. This was a while ago. And I can't remember if it was the boys. I think, I think Kelly was carrying a hot dog for the boys, so she had it. And this seagull, no joke, came flying down from behind me. And so I'm behind them and it comes right down and it takes the hot dog, not the bun, just swoops down, takes the meat and takes off. And I'm rolling. I'm like, ah, because I'm, it's not mine. <laughs> like, if it's mine, man, I'll shoot that thing out of the sky. But it's like one of the boys are like, ah, Tyler, they got your food. And he just looks at it and has this look on his face like, what are you going to do about it? 
Nothing, man. You don't get to eat today. Sucks for you. <laughs> the, the, the bird didn't come back and drop it later. He's like, oh, it's evening. God told me to give you back your hot dog. Nothing happened. Went off and ate it. And so we read a passage like this and I go, God, you are so funny. Like out of any way that you could provide to have ravens dropping food for Elijah and he simply had to obey. Then it says that the, the, the brook dried out. But here's the reason. You know why it dried out? Because of Elijah. Because of God. Like, oh no, because of the drought. No, who caused the drought? God. That's a little personal right now, don't you think? You ever heard of California? Ah, sorry about that. Here's the, but, he has to move because of something that he put into place. And we sit there and go, oh, Elijah, you screwed up everything. Have you ever had something not work out the way that you thought, only to see that it worked out perfectly the way you never thought it would? Look at this passage. Chapter 17, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to, to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. I think that's a little rude. Doesn't even introduce himself. Hey, I'm Elijah. I'm thirsty. By any chance you have something to drink? He's like, hey, bring me some water. Bring me some water. I'm kind of thirsty. I just can't imagine walking outside and saying that to the pers first person that I saw. Hey, I'm thirsty. God told me to give me a drink. You're welcome. Okay, so he keeps going. Then as he said, bring me, oh, wait, uh, verse 11, as she was going to bring it, he called her. Now, one thing to ask for water, and then he says this, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So it's like, hey, I'm thirsty. Okay, here's some water. Can you give me some bread too? I'm like, who would ever do that? Just the people that we usually see when we're driving to church. Oh, crud. Darn it, stop it. Watch this. She said, verse 12, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Man, that's a bad place. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. <laughs> go and do as you said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. Okay, you've reached a whole other level of having no social graces. I just heard that you're going to make your last meal. And then I walk up and say, hey, don't freak out. While you're making bread, make me a little cake first. A little cake, like a birthday cake. Make me some cake. Make me a cake that I can eat first and then feed yourselves. I used to think, Elijah, you are the, the rudest person on the planet. Until you remember this. Think about it. If Elijah just saw God feed him using a raven to drop meat and bread morning and evening, is it rude or is it just confidence that God will provide? Okay, so he's just watched God miraculously feed him by birds dropping him food. And so when he says this, it's not like he's sitting there going, well, I got to eat first so that I, I don't want to die. It's better that you die. It's not being rude. He's just sitting there going, I have so much confidence and God told me that you would feed me and God has provided for me. Therefore, he will provide for you so you can provide for me. So don't worry about this. This will be fine. Verse 14. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not, shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. 
And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. Now here's the thing. When you look back at verse 12, it says, and she said, as the Lord your God lives. Not mine, not ours. She's not included in this. It doesn't say that she's a God follower. It doesn't say that she's a God fearer. As the Lord your God says, and this isn't personal for me. So God still meets her needs. And honestly, God uses a non-God follower to meet the needs of a God follower. God used a God non-follower to meet the needs of a prophet of God. And that non-God follower was blessed because she met the follower, the man of God. So she saw this miraculous thing happen. Now, guys, if that's where the story ends, you're sitting there going, I love happy endings. And the very next verse, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him, which means that he was dead. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And we can sit there and look at her response and say, I can't believe you would be that rude. I can't believe that because he didn't do it. Guys, have you ever had anyone go off on you because you're a follower of Jesus? And they're going through something that's super difficult. Or we've looked at the last few weeks. You're saying, oh, your God is sovereign. Are you telling me your God is sovereign? So if God is all powerful and all loving, then why did this happen? Why did you do this to me? We have to understand that we will be the target of people's wrath because we're connected to the God of the universe. And we better be okay with it. But isn't our first response to let them have it? Honestly, doesn't it just kind of feel good? Someone goes off on you, you're just sitting there and you heard one word and you're like, oh, there it is. That's my end. I'm going to rip their face off verbally. It's going to be awesome. All the angels are going to applaud, I know. Book of Revelation, here it comes. But to respond with grace, how, what, how, what, would you, what would you say to her? God provides and then your son dies. Like what explanation would we come up with? You know, sometimes I think the best thing that we as followers of Christ can say when the junk happens is, I don't know, I don't get it. I don't get it, but whenever I look in Scripture and all the junk's happening, it sure seems like God is still involved and God is using it. At times, God is orchestrated for a greater purpose than I could ever see, but I don't get this. I don't know, but I trust him. So she goes off on him. Look at verse 19, and he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and lay him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? That is not respectful praying. Elijah just accused God of killing the boy. Not polite, but honest. Which one do you think that God prefers? Honest or polite? You're like, polite, because that shows respect. No, it doesn't, because that's when you're lying. If you're every, every time we pray, if we're always polite, and we're never just going, God, what is going on? Give me an example, Brian. Psalm 13, 1. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? If he left forever off, that would have been fine. You throw the word forever in there, that's automatic sass. And you're talking to the God who doesn't forget anything unless he purposes to forget. And there you have it. Wow. 
Man, I'm telling you, I was getting ready to preach and that thing just came down. So those of you who aren't paying attention, you better pay attention because the next one's coming for you. <laughs> this is where everyone, and now no one's going to pay attention to be like this the whole time. So let me just warn you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, now's the time to do that. <laughs> so like I was saying, and no one gives a rip. I don't even know what I was saying. What was I talking about? Why don't we just get back to the Bible? Okay, so yeah, baby, little boy dies. Almost like that. <laughs> and Elijah says, you just killed the boy. And then all of a sudden, he, he turns into like a five-year-old. This is what I mean. Verse 21. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Why is he like a five-year-old? Because who in their right mind would come up with that as a way to bring a dead person back to life? Hey, he's dead. Oh, Okay. I guess I'll just lay down on him three times. Yeah, that should work. And then just lay down. It's like five-year-olds. Like, like a five-year-old, like your friend jacks up his leg or scratches his arm. Hey! I can handle... You okay? No? Okay. You gotta get some... Go get some dirt and a frog. We're gonna fix this for you. Don't worry about it. And I look at Elijah going, were you serious? Like, why are you doing this? I mean, he prayed, but why lay down? And it doesn't say it. And I don't know that. I know there's commentators that will say, this is the reason when. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just sitting there going, I think you're guessing. I'll ask him when I see him. Elijah, what were you thinking? It's a dead body. He's like, <laughs> that'll do it. That makes no sense. Three times. It's like, I'm not giving up. Didn't work. <laughs> and just keep going. You know why I took him to his room? Because no one needed to see that. No one needs to watch that because it's like strong Elijah. Here's a prophet of God laying on a dead body. Doesn't make any sense. But watch what happens. You look at, look at verse 22. And the Lord listened. Oh, isn't that good? Even though Elijah just said you killed this kid, God listened. What did he listen to? I listened to what you said there and then you called out for this kid to live and then you laid down on it. And maybe God's sitting there going, I got to do something because Elijah's trying. I mean, he didn't pull leaves out trying to fix a broken arm, but I mean, he went for it thinking that he could do it. The Lord listened, the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. How fantastic would that have been? Isn't that like the greatest victory walk ever? It never hit me before that when the scriptures say that Elijah took the boy from her arms, which means that as she's, as she's looking at Elijah saying, really, like you come here to show me my sin and then so that my son dies, she's holding him. And he goes and grabs him and takes him upstairs and then brings him back down going, here you go, fixed it. <laughs> Drop the mic and walk out. <laughs> and wouldn't you do that? He just comes and says, here's your son. I just sit and I go, God, I cannot believe you do this stuff. Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, here it is, here it is. Now I know. And that's it. 
I boxed that in my Bible. Now I know. See, before it was the Lord your God, but now I know. And the only way that she could come to know that personally is that her son died and that her son was revived. See, there's something powerful about a son who dies and is resurrected from the dead that causes people to know the truth. Do you see the connection yet? There is something powerful about when a son dies and is resurrected from the dead that causes people to be confronted with the truth where all of a sudden they can pull back and say, now I know. Now it's personal. It's not just something I've heard. It's not your God. Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And she never would have come to that point if there wasn't a drought, how do you know? Because Elijah is being fed by ravens, but there's no more water. So God says, you got to move where there's water. So I'm going to take you to this place. There's no drought. You don't have enough. So I'm going to take you here. And I actually have a specific purpose for you. See, this drought over here is going to affect this woman over here. This drought over here, you said, man, this is uncomfortable for me. It's going to cause her to know God. We're so quick to look at God and go, when the, when the junk happens, you must be out of control. And God's sitting there going, are you kidding me? I'm orchestrating the junk so that people will know. We go back into John chapter 16, and it says this in verse 16, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, I, a, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, you, and you will, see, you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? I love this. We do not know what he's talking about. I love that. Why? There are so many times I open up this book, and I have no clue what he's talking about. I know that some of you know it all. You're amazing. The guys that sat with Jesus, they were tutored by Jesus for three years, Hearing him explaining things, they're looking and going, what does he mean by this? And what does he mean by this? We have no clue what he's talking about. And then all of a sudden, all of us, some of us, some of us, way later, I was sitting there going, I got it all. I got it all figured out. You want every idea, every idea of what Revelation is about? You come talk to me. Here's the idea of Revelation. Jesus wins. I don't get the rest. And I don't need to. Do you realize there's even a part in this passage, in this chapter where Jesus says, I want to tell you more, but you can't bear it. You won't get it. It doesn't make sense. It's like trying to explain college-level calculus to a three-year-old. It's not that you're not ready. It's that you'll never be ready. You can't understand this. And I look at that and say, I'm so thankful the disciples don't get it. But look at Jesus. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them. So he approaches them. And he starts off the conversation. Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you'll not see me? And again, a little while, you will see me again. Verse 20, here it, is, here it is again. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And there's the promise. You say, what do you mean? It's like he's saying, you gotta remember where we're at here. Right here, he's about ready to take a cross. And he's telling his disciples, understand this. In a little while, which is in a few hours, you're going to see me attached to a cross after being, after, being cru- after, after being excruciatingly beaten 
after being tortured, you're going to be connected to a cross. From the cross, you're going to hear me scream out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're going to hear me say those words. You're going to see me experience what it's like to be forsaken by God so that you will never have to be forsaken by God. You're going to see the Father pour out his wrath on me. You're going to see me die. But oh, three days later, I will kick death in the face and come back from the dead. And when that happens, you will have joy. You'll lament. You'll be sorrowful. The world will rejoice. And then I come back from the dead. And when that happens, you will have joy. And no one will be able to take it away. No one will be able to take it away. Followers of Jesus, are you full of joy? Are you full of joy or is it all based on circumstances? Like I said, did you know it's an election year? Did you know that? I don't know if you watch the news. It's all over the place, right? Depends on which news channel you're into. That means you hate the other group. Uh, Don't, you know it's true. That's why you don't read, you don't watch the other group. And then we throw our opinions on and half the population doesn't want to hear hear our message anyway because we're so about pushing our own agendas and our own opinions. And your joy is not complete. Why? Because either Fox or CNN is your source and it's not Jesus. Here's an example. The letter of joy written to the Christians in Philippi This Philippians, this four-chapter little letter, was written in a time where Paul is chained to a praetorian guard, which is like the top, if you want to be the top Roman guard, this is it. It's like the Navy SEALs of the day. He's chained to him, not knowing what's going to happen. Nero's in charge. This is Nero. This is the one who liked to put Christians on poles in his garden, attach them while they're alive and then set them on fire at night so he could walk through his garden with light. And Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll tell you, rejoice. And that guy's in charge. And yet Paul just had this joy that was so unexplainable. The writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. I look at this, I go, you will have joy. Then he starts talking about mamas having babies and all the pain that comes from that. Amen, moms? You're like, amen. I can't relate with that. I've had a kidney stone and that mother hurt. But I didn't get to love the kidney stone afterwards. It's like, oh, I love you. You're so great. You're so great. I was like, no, there's nothing to it. I've just been in the room when Kelly gave birth, and I knew it was painful. I was there. I was watching. But man, when baby came out, there was no more tears of pain. You know what it was? Mamas, am I right? Tears of joy. And that's what Jesus says. It's like, you're in pain in that moment, but when baby comes, it's like, it turns into tears of joy. Something happened. Verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again 
and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from me. You're going to see me die and your joy is going to be gone, but you'll see me again. I'm predicting that I'm coming back from the dead. And when you see me, you'll have so much joy and no one will take it from you. No one, nothing will take it from you. In that day, you ask, you ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, what do you ask of, ask of the Father in my name? You will get it or he will get it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, catch it, that your joy may be full. Guys, if something's repeated in scripture, it's the important part. And here Jesus is connecting joy to what? Circumstances, no. Situations, uh. Or lack of trial in my life, no. He says, you will have trial. You will have trouble. But oh, here's the source of your joy. The resurrection of Jesus is the source of your joy. The resurrection of Jesus is the source of your joy. And as long as you try to place it on anything else, or as long as we try to figure out what the problem is and blame whichever group that's not us because it's weird how often we're right. As long as we keep doing that, our focus will not be on Jesus who is the provider and the sustainer of our joy. He says, you will have joy and no one will take it from you. And you're gonna ask for things of me in my name? Oh, please do. But the part in my name, it's according to God, whatever you want, according to what you want. That means if, if you say no, I trust your heart. It is necessary for us to trust the heart of the Father before we, can, before we can trust the will of the Father. Until we can trust that the heart of God is always for our good according to his definition of it, until we can do that, we will never joyfully move into the will of God. And then just as an encouragement, I don't know if the verse will be behind me, but verse 26 and 27, it says, then that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. He's like, you don't have to talk to me to talk to the Father. No, 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 just talk to him. Because the Father loves you. Because you've loved me. And whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it. Why? Because whatever the Father's is mine, and whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. I want to do that. But here's the ultimate thing. As tough as a week, week or three weeks as it's been, followers of Christ, we should be able to show a broken world and a hopeless world what it looks like to still have joy. We still have hope. I look at this and I look at a Jesus who says, I'll provide you my joy in the midst of him about ready to take a cross. And for the joy of the cross, or for the joy set before him, he endures the cross. The joy set before Jesus was us. He had a bigger plan in mind. Just like we saw in 1 Kings, and we see it here, we see it in the message of the gospel, there is something powerful about a son who dies and is resurrected again that causes people to know the truth. There's something powerful. Now let's just take it from, here's the widow's son who died and he's brought back to life. Let's take it back to Jesus. What the world saw as loss for him, as defeat for him, is victory for us. There is something powerful 
about the Son of God who was crucified on our behalf and because of us, and who, who, who predicted in three days, I'm going to come back from the dead, giving you hope, giving you victory. There is something powerful about a Son who is crucified and is resurrected that gives us our joy, that provides us fullness of joy. Well, we can say this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll tell you, rejoice. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Oh, the joy that God provides is so far above the circumstances that we experience. Church, we need to show a broken world the hope and the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Maybe they need to hear less of our opinion and see more of the victory, joy, and hope that we have because of him. Maybe they need to see it before they hear it. May we go out and seek and save the lost. For that was the cause of Jesus and that is the cause of his church. And the reason we can do it, because there's something powerful in a son who's, from a son who dies and is resurrected. There's something about that that causes people to know the truth. We're going we're gonna to close with one worship song as the team comes back up. And guys, as we worship, in whatever circumstance or situation you're facing, can I just encourage you, there's this part, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul, no matter what it is. And that's fine. I mean, I understand that maybe there's someone going, ah, I don't like what he said about this and that. This. That's totally fine. I mean, we can talk about it. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I get, when I speak, it's all, every single part's Jesus. But what if, what if God had to challenge you on something today because you took your eyes off of him and put on something else? What would it look like if we as followers of Jesus actually looked at each other as in process? Would we actually be a little bit more patient with one another rather than being so irritated that they're not just like me and they're not just like you? What if we looked at the, the ones who don't know Christ, the people, the people with faces and names, those who don't know Jesus? What if we saw them as lost and not as opponents? Because I once was lost, right? And followers of Jesus, you once were lost, right? but now you're found. We were blind, but now we see. There was something about that. What if? What would it look like? Can I pray for us? Would you mind? Jesus, forgive me for the time and the times I so often, I take my eyes off of you and I put them on circumstances. I start blaming a world or start blaming people when God, it's sin and it is rampant And Jesus, you are the only solution. God, may we not just be examples as if we're trying to fake it. May we actually truly experience the joy that comes from knowing you. The joy that comes from the fact that Jesus, you came back from the dead. The joy that comes with the the fellowship and the intimacy of the Holy Spirit in us. So that a broken world sees the hope and the difference that you make. In order that they who are lost can be found, that those who are blind can see. God, thank you that you are in charge and sovereign over all, and may that cause us to sleep better at night because of it. Use us, your church, to impact eternity. We love you. In this time, be pleased as we sing to you. In this time, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of Christ's followers say, Amen. Love you all more than you know.